0: Thank you, Lewis. If you noticed in the bulletin, the title of the sermon has to do with Church 101, and that is the new series that we are beginning today. Let me give you a little background of that and how this series came to be. About six years ago, uh, I recommended to the elders that they find my replacement, (laughs) And that we transition, uh, begin a transition aimed at when I would be 70. Of course, I didn't know it was actually going to happen. <laughs> um, I didn't know, uh, I, I also didn't know, you know, will, will there be any health challenges along the way or circumstances or a part of those years? But I, I thought if somebody were on board uh, already in place, then the church would be a good, in a good place. And uh, that's what was in my mind Um, And and God led us to Lewis. And God led Lewis and Casey and the children to us. And uh, the transition has been seamless. And I don't use this word very often. In fact, I rarely use it. But it's been awesome. Because I mean that in the literal meaning of that word, to see what God has done. And starting February, I'll no longer be senior pastor here. I will remain on part-time staff, and will uh, be preaching about once a month, uh, and uh, will help where I'm needed, and the rest of my time I'm going to be looking into returning to teaching. Now, with this transition, the elders have asked me to put together uh, the story, reminiscences of the history, the heritage of Signal Mountain Bible Church, because before you know it, that oral history is, is, is lost. So Lewis and I decided to put that the best way to capture this was in a series in which we look at the big, God's big picture of the church and how we fit as the local church into that big picture. So we're going to be looking at what Scripture says over these weeks and months, but we're also going to be including testimonials of, uh, and, and explanations of why we do certain things the way that we do them here as a part of that larger story um, of Church 101. So we feel like this is a timely way and time to do it. And as we, as we study what God's word says about the church, uh, we'll also tell you some of the qu- quirky things about why we do certain things the way that we are, why things are a part of our history. I mean, wh- why did this church start anyway? Aren't there enough churches in Chattanooga, Tennessee, really? And why the name? Why Bible Church? And in fact, when we began, did you know that that was not our name? We had a different name. Do you know that we used to have public prayer requests every Sunday morning to take from the floor? And do you know the specific reason why we stopped doing that? <laughs> what happened to the choir Why do we not pass an offering plate? Where did our statement of faith come from? And, and why do we include some things but exclude other things? The things that are important to us, but they're not a part of the statement of faith. Why do we sometimes recite creeds? What's up with that? Why do we support our missionaries the way that we do? Because we could add a lot more missionaries if we spread those finances around and have a big, big list. Why is our leadership structured the way that it is? Because Lewis and I are teaching elders. We're not CEOs. And by our bylaws, the pastor cannot be the chairman of the elders. Why do we structure it like that? And how is that biblical? How did it come about that 4872 Shackleford Ridge Road, right here, is actually technically our sixth location? And here's the critical question. I want you to ponder this. Is it true that we really met one Sunday morning for worship in the boiler room of Mole Hill Pottery? So how do we get here? Here's a short answer. God orchestrated circumstances, events, times, attitudes, and hearts so that here we are today at Signal Mountain Bible Church. And as I tell this story, there are so many people who are involved in doing what they did to make this church a reality, this local church, a reality with the mission that we have. And I, you know, the list is very long, and not everyone could be mentioned, and I won't even try to do that. But the longer answer to this question, how did we get here, includes um, basically a, a lot of reminiscing, <laughs> in, including what today I might call a testimony sermon. I've never done one of those before, but almost all of you have heard the story that I'm about to tell regarding the beginning. Of this church. We, we do have a lot of new folks, however, and uh, plus with this series we're sort of recording our own oral history uh, so that we'll capture that. And I'll also be writing more details that are personal on uh, my church blog. Uh, did you know that we had that? Yeah, I didn't think you did. One person has liked it. <laughs> and I love her very much. So, anyway, I haven't posted anything for a couple of years, so anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to start using that a little bit, I think, um, at any rate. Uh, let, let me start this way. In 1984, I was uh, chairman of the Bible department at Bryan College, and two Signal Mountain residents, uh, Jim Cooley and Harry Thompson, both local businessmen, approached me about starting a Bible-teaching church on Signal Mountain. They said that uh, people who wanted more of a teaching-oriented church were going off-mountain. They were, they were going to Woodland Park Baptist Church, which uh, was pastored by a friend of mine named Wayne Barber. So their question was, could I help them start a local church? And the reason I think they contacted me was because I'd known Jim since I was a little boy, and they knew that I was from Chattanooga, And they knew that Betsy was from Signal Mountain, and that we'd been married at Signal Mountain Presbyterian Church. So we had connections here that that um, tied our hearts to this place, and so the phone call happened. So, of course, I said, "No." Uh, I was happy in the college classroom, and uh, one thing I knew. You know, there are many things you you think you know, but one thing I really knew: I will never be a pastor. So uh, I was so certain of that that in seminary, I never took the pastoral courses. Uh, so I wished, I wished these two men well and uh, told them I'd look around for someone who might help with the church plant, and I did. I contacted some other faculty members and some other pastors that I knew, but no one ever meshed with the idea, and basically, I forgot about it. About eight or nine months later, my father was diagnosed with a brain tumor there are many people in this city and beyond who were praying for my dad And um, any of you who know me well know how close my dad and I were Um, so he he went into surgery for the brain tumor and the, the neurosurgeon came out two hours early and when he was walking towards us that is not a good sign we thought and what he told us was I got in there, and there was a cavity where the brain tumor had been, but there was no tumor. No tumor. He said, I've heard of things like this. I've never seen it. And so they sewed him back up, and uh, the recovery took a while. Um, But anyway, the doctor said, I can't explain it. My mom said, well, I can. (laughs) God healed him. Uh, his recovery was long, as I said. Um, why didn't God prompt the surgeon before the operation to say, you know, I think I'll do one more scan or something crazy like that? Because I think if he had, at least in, in terms of my role in it, there would be no Sigma Mountain Bible Church. Because in the process of helping my dad through his recovery, God softened my heart and changed it and taught me that ministry extended beyond the classroom to the waiting room and the emergency room rooms that I was not comfortable with. So in the summer of 1985, the next year, the same two men called me again to my surprise and asked me, will you pray about this? We met, and uh, they told me that this church was needed. It was eagerly anticipated. And they also told me that they had talked with many people on the mountain, and they knew who was coming. And the first Sunday, we would have about 50 people. The second Sunday, as word spread, about a couple of hundred. And then we'd go on from there and call a pastor. Sounded good to me. I was naive about church planning. I didn't take those courses. Uh, sounded reasonable. They knew who was coming. Here's something uh, I didn't know that I found out later. Both of these gentlemen were dyed-in-the-wool Southern Baptists, and they assumed that the fledgling church would become a Southern Baptist church. That was never communicated to me. Little detail. So, I committed six weeks to six months to them to help them get going, and I have now been interim supply pastor for over 34 years. Don't tell the elders. But here's the rest of the story um, that was going on with the Phillips family. And so I'm going to be a little self-indulgent here. uh, But uh, in addition to my teaching and administrative roles at the college, for the previous six years, I had... uh, I was traveling about two thirds of all weekends uh, teaching walk through the Bible seminars in Florida, Georgia, Ohio, New York, uh, California, Texas, Utah, wherever, uh, on about two thirds of my weekends. And uh, I was in a different city most weekends, lots of opportunities to share the gospel on the airplane. So that was good. But I was tired and uh, was longing for a ministry that would be local. I'd always had two jobs um, so that uh, Betsy uh, could stay home with the kids. That was a choice that we made. But it would be nice if the Lord provided a ministry that was local and didn't involve travel, even if it were only for a few weeks. So uh, what's strange, looking back on it, is I continued to do walk-through-the-bible seminars for that first year so I did all three, and I just had to make sure that all my flights got back in on Saturday night. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of crazy. But hey, when you're, you're young and, and foolish. Um, here's, the critical, here's the critical thing. When Betsy and I met with those two men and their wives in a restaurant, the six of us, uh, I opened, I took out this testament right here, uh, it belonged to my dad. He'd given it to me, I think at the time when he was in the hospital recovering. Um, this is the testament. It's, it's in he, in this pocket protector. He put it in here. This pocket protector is older than most of you. Little New Testament and Psalms. And uh, I, I took this into the restaurant, and, and I opened up, and I said... I want to make sure before we begin that you agree with me we are on the same page of Scripture with the definition of the local church. And I read to them from Ephesians chapter 4. Lewis read the earlier verses in that chapter, but the verses that I read were verses 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the build to the building up of the body of Christ until we all come into the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the son of god into a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ that we will be no longer like children tossed to and fro Carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men or cunning craftiness in which they are trying to deceive us. But speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being joined together by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working Of each individual part grows the body into itself in love. Causes the growth of the body in itself in love. Translating a little bit from the King James here and and from memory because the print on this, this past Thursday I had cataract surgery. I've got another one coming up in a week and a half and they are not quite aligned. If I, if I look through this, I've got kitchen brightness. If I look through this one, I've got soft romantic dinner. <laughs> so. Are you on board with this? This is, this is the job description of the church. What is the pastor for? His main role is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that the body generates its own, gro- its own growth. Most, in most churches, uh, to, to be blunt, the job description of the pastor is to do the ministry. According to Scripture, the role of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's a different model. It's a different understanding. So I asked them, are you on board with this? Because this is what Scripture says the church is about. And they said, absolutely, they did agree. So they started looking for possible meeting places uh, on Signal Mountain. And um, the only place that seemed to be available was in Signal Plaza. Um, Right from the start, we met as a church. We didn't meet as a home Bible study that might grow into a church. Right from the start, we met as a church. We just didn't know if we were going to survive. We began in the fall of 1985, I believe our first Sunday was in October, not sure exactly about that. Uh, We met in one of the empty storefronts in Signal Plaza and this is how that came about. I called Joanne Robinson, many of you may remember Joanne and Rocky Robinson, they moved to Greenville, South Carolina about 20 years ago. Uh, Okay, two or three of you will remember Joanne and Rocky Robinson but Joanne and Rocky were a part of this church from the very beginning. Joanne was the administrative secretary to Wendy Willingham who owned Signal Plaza. So when one of those men entered the offices of Signal Plaza and asked we are and this is what he said. She I called her this week and she told me. She said he's he said we are going to start a a Southern Baptist <laughs> church on Signal Mountain. And uh, is there a space, an empty space where we could meet? And um, Mr. Willingham uh, uh, donated the space. We had There were a few empty spaces there. As long as we would sign a waiver not to sue him if somebody were injured on his premises. Which made sense because the first place that we met was under construction. It was being built up for a store that was going to move in, which meant that we weren't going to be there long. Um, in fact, it, it was the one that became Molehill Pottery. Uh, now, at that time, Betsy and I lived in Dayton. We lived in Dayton until 1999. And uh, Robert Mill Road, I believe, was not completely paved. Um, we came up the mountain the front way. We drove down Old Highway 27 because there was no four-lane road. And it was just a curvy two-lane road. Uh, There was no Coolidge Parkway. That came much later. Um, In fact, any phone calls that anybody made to us or we made to anybody in the church were long distance. And I think that was true for about 15 or 20 years. Besides me and Betsy, the one person sitting here today who was present that first Sunday is sitting right there. Rachel DeCosimo. Rachel, would you stand up, please? If you can. Here's who came that first Sunday. Rachel. Remember the 50 people? It was Rachel, Harry, his wife, and two children, Rocky and Joanne Robinson, because they were kind of checking out, making sure we didn't bring any snakes in, and they stayed with us. And by the way, uh, they greet you. And Gary, Betsy, Phillips, and their children, David, Beth, and Rebecca Ann, ages 8, 6, and 2, and that was it. Actually, by herself, Rachel was 15% of our adult congregation. <laughs> the, uh, the other gentleman of the two businessmen, uh... Jim Cooley uh, never came at all. Uh, there was a reason for that. Uh, Jim was leading the music in a large Southern Baptist church in Chattanooga. He had a time commitment to them, and then by the time he was he completed that responsibility, it was clear we were not a Southern Baptist church, and that's what his, where his heart was. So Jim never came. Uh, we we stayed friends for the rest of his life, uh, but. Uh, Uh, He never came to the church. And the other gentleman moved away, I think, within about two years. So uh, here we are. The second week that we met, that was the first week. The second week, Karen and Nick DiCosimo came with David and Joseph. Michael hadn't been born yet, which meant that our church grew by 50%. Now, that is the only week I could ever say that about our church. We grew by 50%. (laughs) And over the next weeks, Uh, Jerry and Sharon Cook came, uh, Oscar and Peggy Davis, a few others came. One Sunday, just before Christmas, that very, in those first weeks, we arrived and found our entire meeting space covered in Christmas trees uh, that were being sold in the parking lot, and they had used them to, where do they put them? Well, they put them in the empty space, and so what that meant was we had no floor space, and that was the Sunday that we held our worship service in the molehill boiler room. Uh, after the store, uh, after the molehill was completed, we had to vacate. Our second location was a donut shop that had gone out of business. It was, uh, I think, around where Greg Nakula's, uh, Dr. Nakula's offices are. And it, <laughs> the, the donut shop was called the Munchkin Shop. So we had a lot of laughs about being Munchkin Church uh, we always, by the way, brought in folding chairs. We had bought them, and we stored them in the back of whatever facility we were borrowing. Uh, we had, I think, 30 of them to handle the massive crowds. The third place that we moved in was in the corner of where, in, in Signal Plaza, of the L, uh, where uh, I, I think it became the Hallmark store or the Merle Norman. That's what Joanne told me. And um, I think it's where Mountain Fellowship has their offices now, or close to that, but right in the corner of that L. That was our third uh, location. Um, so here we are. We were plodding along week by week by week, and I believe it was Nick who found out that the Timberlinks Chapel was vacant. There was a chapel, a log cabin chapel on Timberlinks, and uh, here is a picture of it. Some of you remember the log cabin chapel. It had been a chapel of uh, Signal Mountain Presbyterian Church. At that time, it was owned by the um, uh, town of Signal Mountain, and we were allowed to uh, lease it for $25 a month. But I think, as I recall, the utility bills were up between six and eight hundred dollars a month for Sundays only. It was it was quite a place, um, and we called it Creosote Church because of, of the smell uh, It had burned <laughs> at some point. And we stayed there for fifteen years, and it was glorious to have the space. Uh, they had it. There was the chapel sanctuary, which is the, this is a picture of that, off to the left side, which you cannot see. Uh, There was a larger room, and there were two bathrooms, a small kitchen, uh, and three small rooms. And so now we had Sunday school and a nursery. And I tell you, the mothers of Signal Mountain Bible Church from those days have my deep appreciation for what they were willing to put up with. Uh, Early on, we called, we didn't, our, our first name was Palisades Community Church. You can't see it, but behind... Oh, you really can't see it. Uh, Nick, Gary, and on the right is Joel Wright, Linda Wright's dad. Dot and Joel were a part of our of the church uh, then. We miss him greatly. But behind us is, uh, you can't see it, but that's the, the Log Cabin Chapel, uh, Timberlinks. Uh, Now, at some point during that first year, we became incorporated, or whatever the the appropriate term is. Our, Our charter was filed with the state of Tennessee. And at that point, we changed our name. And the reason why is because nobody knew what a community church was. That's number one. Not that they know what a Bible church is but number two uh, we didn't locate in Palisades so it became it, it so it, during that very next year uh, we changed our sign to you can see with the log cabin behind Signal Mountain Bible Church on the left is Rocky Robinson on the right is Gary Pfizer, uh, a longtime friend of our church And uh, in in the middle are me and Nick. I know we look just the same, don't we? (laughs) Well, the faces are identical. The contours... Never mind. So at any rate, that's that's, um, uh, when we changed our name to be more descriptive of who we are as a Bible-teaching church. And this church would not have survived if it hadn't been for the faithful commitment... To come into a church in a log cabin, I, I tell you, who would want to do that? It's, it was just kind of a crazy thing uh, for people to want to come. To, it was definitely not a status <laughs> thing. But the faithful commitment of those who came there uh, means so much uh, to me, uh, those who came in those earliest years. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If, and, and we were there until 2001, If you came to this church during the log cabin years, would you please stand? Wow. Thank you. These are people who gave themselves to this church family. In the middle 90s, we were given the opportunity to... um, uh, by a friend of many of us, Jim, Jim O'Kelly, to purchase six acres on Shackleford Ridge Road. Uh, so uh, we were able to do that. Uh, it, it was Jim's uh, property, but he gave us this opportunity, approached us, and we knew that this place was totally isolated from everything else on the mountain. And, and by the way, the road is not what it used to be, Uh, It was not nearly as nice as it is now. There were no houses nearby, and this was before the middle high school. But we also felt that it was the Lord's leading. Um, We were only about 40 people at the time. And uh, the Lord supplied and paid for the six acres on which we now sit. Uh, Meanwhile, we were growing at Timberlinks Chapel, uh, family by family. We weren't bursting at the seams, and we almost didn't notice that we were growing, um, but I remember one day we were having communion and, and we prepared the same amount that we always prepared for communion. And about three or four rows from the back, and I remember Nick was um, passing the plate with the elements and he had the, um, um, uh, the cup. And about three or four rows from the back, he ran out. And what do you do? Well, he had the absolute perfect comment. He just looked at everybody and he said, this is a really good problem to have. <laughs> also at that time, one of our elders, Tim Shope, uh, left the corporate world and came full-time to SMBC and, and brought his amazing gifts for uh, vision, for music, and especially administration. And he helped many good things uh, happen here, especially this building. Well, When we were growing, a little bit too large for the chapel, um, Bachman School became available. And uh, that's where Mountain Fellowship now meets. And we were at Bachman from 2001 to 2003. If you came to this church in the Bachman years, in those two years, would you please stand? If that's when you met us, in the Bachman years, oh my goodness, wow, wow. Thank you. This is really encouraging. Uh, one more thing happened in 2001. The elders had been asking me for years uh, to come full time. And that's the year that I resigned from uh, the college and uh, became full time pastor at Signal Mountain Bible Church. And I'll add, I'll add some further personal details on the blog. <laughs> Uh, but I, I did, I'll, I'll mention this. I did have two lives, um, my, my academic life and my church ministry here. And um, uh, we had many opportunities to go to other schools to teach, uh, other sem- uh, to go to seminaries to teach, uh, even some presidencies. And uh, the early reason, the earliest reason that we said no to all those things that came to us over the years is because we didn't want to leave Bryan College. But very quickly it became, we didn't want to leave Sugar Mountain Bible Church. And that's why we stayed. Uh, we love you. And uh, loved you then, love you now. <laughs> so I'm going to back up a little bit. We were at Bachman for two years. But Hamilton County Department of Education owned Bachman. And while they uh, rented it to us, they rented it month by month, and they put it up for sale. And we would have had one month's notice, and we would have had no place to be. So in 2002, we began building on this six-acre site. And in 2003, we moved into this building. Now I'm going to ask those who came to this church, uh, to Sigma Mountain Bible Church, and know only this building, would you please stand? Okay. Thank you very much. Now, <clears throat> there are, by the way, and the building process had its own quirks. There were some interesting things. Uh, there was some pushback from those who were involved in making decisions with the town of Signal Mountain. There was one one meeting where, where one of the members of the town's committee on this, uh, after our, our excavation work had been done, where, where the gentlemen, they didn't want our church to be visible from the road. Think about that. <laughs> they didn't want it to be visible from the road. So at one point, one of the... One of the gentlemen, after our excavation had been done, said, "Couldn't you just turn the church sideways so that it, you, you know be less you know it's just well?" No, we <laughs> can't do that. Um, in 2017, Jim O'Kelly approached us again and offered that we. If we would like to buy the other 16 contiguous acres. And uh, we brought this to the church. You prayed. We had discussions. You let us know what, whether or not you were committed to doing that because we wanted it paid off within one year. And we bought it and it was paid off within one year. And we thank the Lord for our 22 acres here. In 2018, we built our pavilion and it collapsed. And as as the King James says of Jericho, great was the fall of it. <laughs> By God's providential grace, it was rebuilt into a much larger pavilion 2.0, for which we were all very thankful. See, all of this, you know, look back. This is God's amazing provision. Did you know that we were not supposed to have a second floor, a basement uh, underneath this? That's just something that happened there. Okay, we in the middle of construction because of the contours of what was underneath. It was a decision that was made in process. We look back and we just see God's amazing provision. Now, I'm going to return to uh, 2003. That's when we moved into the building. On Saturday night, before our first Sunday worship service here, the entire church met and we read through the whole Bible out loud. People came in. They were given several chapters And they would go scatter around and we would all read aloud, our portion. You heard all these voices humming. But we read the entire Bible uh, that evening uh, because we felt like that was an appropriate way for all of us to begin this wonderful journey here in this facility. Now I want to dig down into why we are here. Uh, We are here to honor and glorify Jesus Christ and to build up the body of Christ. When Betsy and I met with those two couples in that restaurant almost 35 years ago, this is what we talked about. You ready for it? Jesus is in love. In Ephesians 5, he loves the church and gave himself for her, his bride. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So the question is, do you love what Jesus loves? Now, I know that the church might gain weight or that the church might look different than she did 35 years ago. You understand what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. With all her imperfections, Jesus loves the church because we are imperfect people. what is God's plan for the church do you love what Jesus loves and are you in love with the body of Christ I'm gonna ask you to look with me for a few moments at Ephesians chapter 4 in the first verses our oneness is mentioned our unity in the body of Christ Verse four, uh, verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, one body, one spirit, one hope. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. So there is diversity, yes, but there is oneness. In verse 4, the, one, uh, the, the Spirit is binds that oneness together. In verse 5, Jesus Christ the Lord. In verse 6, God the Father. Our oneness in Him and with one another. However, there is also diversity. In the next few verses, 7 through 10, he describes Jesus is very much like a conquering king returning with the spoils, distributing the spoils of war to his faithful followers. And the image is of Jesus giving spiritual gifts to the church. Those are his gifts that he's giving out to the church. And what is the purpose of those gifts? Well, that's where we come into verse 11. And he gave some as as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. This is the passage that I looked at with those those gentlemen at that dinner. This is the job description of the church. Four functions are given here. I believe two of them were for the early church and two of them are continuing until today. In chapter 2, verse 20, the apostles and prophets are mentioned as being foundational. In chapter 3, verse 5, that which has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, but in chapter uh, chapter four, here we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor and teacher. and And grammatically, pastor and teacher go together; they are one function. That's why sometimes you will see it hyphenated: pastor hyphen teacher. I can give you the grammatical reason for that later if you are interested in it. But there are four roles that are in view here and all four roles revolve around one function and that is all four communicate God's revelation to people. They all four communicate God's revelation to people. The apostles did, the prophets did, uh, the evangelists do is they communicate the gospel and the pastor teacher does that. So verse 12 says, you know, what, what is this? What is the purpose of this? Why is Has Jesus given these gifts to the church? Verse 12 tells us, for the equipping of the saints. Well, first of all, who are the saints? That is a term that refers not to our ethical status, but to our position in Christ. We are set apart to Him. What is the most unethical church in the New Testament in terms of being a city? What church would that be? Corinth, right. And it's interesting that when Paul writes to Corinth, he begins by saying to the church of God which is at Corinth, now listen, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. He's making it very clear they're not saints by practice, (laughs) but they are saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you. So that is the the, the purpose is these individuals are given to the church to equip the saints. Who are the saints? All of us. All of us. Those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith in him, acknowledging that we are sinners, we cannot save ourselves, but by uh, grace we have been saved through faith in him we're not relying upon anything else we have believed the good news the gospel we are saints so equipping the saints for the work of service and the the word there is the same word that's used for ministry elsewhere who does the ministry the saints do but that's what we hire the preacher for no he's to engage in ministry too yes But what is his role? To equip the saints. What does equip mean? Well, keep in mind that these gifts have to do with communication of God's truth. The term equip is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, exact same word, where James and John were mending their nets, equipping their nets. It's the same word that's used in the 2nd century B.C. by Galen, the physician of setting a broken leg. The idea is this. In its present condition, that which is equipped is unable to carry out that for which it was created. That leg has to be set and healed so that it will be equipped for its purpose. That net has to be mended, equipped, so that it can carry out its purpose. And you and I have to be equipped with the Word of God so that we can carry out the purpose for which we were created. That's how we get equipped. So the Word of God, it becomes a part of our teaching, a part of our thinking. We develop a biblical mind. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what's the result? What? What? what what continues from this to the building up of the body of christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the son of god to a mature man so we become one with each other we become more and more like jesus christ the verse continues to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of christ now how long is that process going to take well until we're like Jesus. <laughs> so all of our lives until he comes back. That's how long this will take. But that's the process. He will take care of writing the end. We are called to engage in the process of taking in the word of God, having our minds and actions transformed so that we do the work of the ministry, building up one another. Verse uh 14 gives us the so what? The negative. First of all negatively we are no longer to be like children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming. There are three descriptions there of instability. Instead positively but speaking the truth. Literally he doesn't Take the verb speak and the predicate object truth. He does use that in verse 25, therefore speak truth with one another. But here he uses it differently. Here he takes the word for truth, makes it into a verb, and he says, but truthing it in love, truthing it in love. This is how you were to live, truthing it in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That's every one of us. According to the proper working of each individual part. That's, again, every one of us causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Because Jesus loves the church. The body generates its own growth by taking the word of God and applying it and living it out. The church is made up of those who have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are born again. And as those who are born, we are to grow spiritually into spiritual maturity to become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is our role. That is our goal. That is what God has called us to do. And the body generates its own growth. Who does the work of the ministry? all of us. We all do. This requires commitment to one another. There are 60 relationship one another commands, and they are all about the local church, every one of them. They're not about the global church or the universal church. They're about the local church. Love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, serve one another, rejoice with one another, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, pray for one another. Hebrews 10 puts it bluntly. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pretty clear. By far the most common one another is love one another. It occurs 20 times of the 60. One out of every three. And that's, by the way, how a watching world knows that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't thinking about the munchkin shop. He wasn't thinking about a building. He meant a body. You are the church. And this church happens to meet here in this building, or at Timberlinks Chapel, or at Bachman, or at Signal Plaza. But if you were to ask any first century Christian, where do you go to church? They would not understand the question go to church because there were no church buildings now we have a church building but the building is not the church you bring the church into this building and when you leave the building will not be the church i know we speak that way but that's not how we are to think in biblical terms you are the church, with or without a building. And the truth is, you can't practice those one another's of the Bible if you don't spend time together outside the building. You, how, do you, how are you devoted to one another? Serving one another, encouraging one another, carrying one another's burdens, offering hospitality to one another if you don't spend time together. Jesus loves the church. And if you love what Jesus loves, you'll be in love with the church. Not a building, but the body of Christ. The church is not an incidental part, component of your life. It is to be a fundamental part of your life. Does anyone here believe that the church is an individual part, an incidental part of Jesus' life? So... Do you love what Jesus loves? It's that simple, really, it is. And if you don't, why not? I understand that many people have had hard experiences. Jesus can overcome those and give you a renewed love for the body of Christ. He has commanded us to love the church not because the church is filled with perfect absolutely lovable people one writer called the church a messy grace i love that and i'm part of the mess and yet jesus still loves the church warts and all so do you love what jesus loves and if you're not committed to love the local church do you somehow think that jesus is okay with that The results of loving what Jesus loves, his bride, the church, should be in eternal impact in three areas, three directions. Our upward focus, our upward focus is on worship, glorification of him. Our inward focus on sanctification and our outward focus on evangelization, missions, and edification. We're going to study those outcomes in future weeks, Church 101. But I want to make sure that we understand the foundational truth that God has called us to absorb his word, to put it into practice with one another, and to love each other, and to grow and generate the body's growth as we serve one another diligently, to do the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's God's love story. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to begin this series, to think about what you have called us to. And Lord, it is a good, good thing that you have given us. We thank you for the one and others, for the challenge there, and we ask that we would be faithful to carry out what you have done. Lord, we're definitely not perfect people, but help us, Father, to rejoice in the fact that you are perfect and you have given us both the desire and the ability to love one another. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.